Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. We're in Jonah chapter 2 today, looking at verses 8 through 10. And in the next several sessions, we'll be finishing up the second chapter of Jonah. We've already seen in our study Jonah running away from the presence of the Lord uh, out in the Mediterranean Sea. He is cast by the sailors into the sea, and uh, the Lord, instead of allowing him to drown, sends out a giant fish to swallow him up. And then in the past several sessions, we've been looking at Jonah's prayer from inside the belly of the great fish. So I want to start by reading Jonah chapter 2 and verses 8 through 10. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. These three verses conclude the second chapter of the book of Jonah, and I want to review a little bit, uh, since we're coming to the end of the chapter, about the chapter in its entirety. Uh, In verses 1 through 7, we understand that Jonah's experience inside the belly of the great fish in some ways reflects what he has read and learned about Scripture, and so the experiences of the people of God in previous times uh, before the time of Jonah. In particular, we, we looked at David's experience recorded in uh, 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18, that David felt like he was uh, descending to the depths, encompassed by death, Uh, surrounded by Sheol. And Jonah uses the same type of imagery as he's descending uh, into the depths of the sea, feeling like he's descending into the underworld, being overtaken and overwhelmed by uh, death. He feels like he's dying. Uh, He remembers the Lord. We just saw in in verse 7 last time, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy Temple. So Jonah looks to the Lord. He looks to his holy temple uh, located on uh, Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And so we've got, even though Jonah is at perhaps the lowest conceptual place in the world in his thinking, the the underneath parts of the ocean. He's looking to the highest point in his theology, the place where God resides in the holiest place within the temple uh, up on the mountain of Jerusalem. And he is remembering the Lord and asking for the Lord's help. And the Lord hears him and the Lord responds to him. So when we come to verses 8 through 10, we have everything concluding in this chapter and wrapping up. Jonah sort of tying his thoughts together. Uh, But I want you to understand these are uh, a little bit more difficult verses for us today to understand because we're not exactly in Jonah's immediate context. And so they might take a little bit more effort to work through. So verse 8, those who regard vain idols or uh, empty vanities forsake their faithfulness. 
What in the world does this have to do with Jonah's prayer? It seems like a strong disjoint in this verse between what Jonah's talking about here and everything that he has said before. His, his theme and his uh, words prior to this have sort of surrounded two uh, major concepts. The first concept would be that he feels like he's sinking, he's being abandoned, he's uh, going down to the depths of the pit to Sheol. The other concept would be that God is hearing him while he's in his despair and distress and bringing him up out of the pit and, and restoring him. Now in verse 8, we have this sentence that seemingly doesn't fit with either of these concepts. Uh, I think the first thing that needs to be said is verses 8 and 9 have to be taken together. Again, this is the concept of Hebrew parallelism and where uh, we have had in verses 1 through 7 uh, parallel statements going back and forth. I think verses 8 and 9 are really paralleled to one another in some ways, and I'll try to show that as we go through this um, uh, contextually. So those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. I think some of the background to Jonah's mindset here might be a couple of things. First of all, again, Jonah comes from the northern kingdom of Israel and writing in around 760-750 BC. During this time, it's important to understand the northern kingdom was a kingdom that while there were some faithful individuals within the midst of the kingdom, such as Jonah, who would have served and worshipped the Lord God and, and him exclusively, for a large part, the northern kingdom uh, had fallen into idolatry very early on. They worshipped foreign gods. They worshipped other deities besides Yahweh, and often in times uh, with in conjunction with Yahweh. Uh, um, and so the northern kingdom didn't necessarily look any different from the rest of the Canaanite societies surrounding them. There was rampant idolatry. There were people who were regarding empty vanities or vain idols. So Jonah would have grown up and, and operated in a society that, uh, in which this was very, very prominent. We've also seen in chapter 1 the pagan sailors uh, waking Jonah up, telling him to cry out to his God. They're crying out to all their different gods, showing the, the pantheism and polytheism of the pagan sailors throughout. Uh, Jonah is going to contrast uh, this type of a worldview with his own worldview in verse 9. So I see verse 8 and verse 9 as sort of contrasting statements. On the one hand, you have individuals who regard vain idols. On the other hand, you have Jonah setting himself forth as an example of an individual who is devoted and committed to the one true God. Now, these vain idols... Uh, or empty vanities might be another translation, use two Hebrew words that emphasize the deceptions of these so-called gods. These are really not gods at all from uh, God's divine perspective, but people pay attention to them as though they existed. They're lifeless, 
They're powerless to deliver Jonah in his affliction in the belly of the fish or anyone else. But still, uh, people are giving their reverence, their affections to these idols. Uh, Listen to the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 46, verses 5 through 9, where God uh, very pointedly addresses idol-making and the worship of false gods. This is what God says in Isaiah 46, verses 5 through 9. To whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we would be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh silver on the scale, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. They bow down, indeed they worship it. They lift it upon the shoulder and carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It doesn't move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. This is not the only place in the book of Isaiah where we read about God attacking every other so-called God and really slandering them, saying that's not a God at all. This worthless, lifeless statue does nothing for you. That's what he's saying here. Jonah is affirming the same thing, so his worldview, his mentality is that the Lord alone is exclusively God. He says, those who regard these idols forsake their faithfulness. Forsake their faithfulness. This is actually the Hebrew word Hesed, that is uh, commonly referred to as the covenantal faithfulness, the loyal love. Sometimes it's translated mercy of God or loving kindness of God. In other words, Jonah is saying here, the individuals who regard or pay tribute to or pay attention to false gods forsake the loyal love that is offered by the one true God. He's setting himself up in verse 9 as one who will serve and be dedicated to the one true God. And in contrast to that, we have verse 8, those who regard vain idols, they forsake God's covenantal love, the love with which he loves his people, particularly Israel, but through Israel, uh, the nations who see the witness of the one true God of Israel and believe uh, on on that God. I'm thinking in particular of the example of uh, Rahab in the first chapters of the book of Joshua. Rahab talks about when the spies come in and she welcomes them and hides them in her home. She talks about how she and others in the city of Jericho have heard about the things that the God of Israel had done as the people were coming out of Egypt and wandering through the wilderness. In particular, all of these great kings that the God of Israel subdued, and the people of Jericho were afraid. And because of this, Rahab I think we can say from the book of Joshua, believed in that God enough 
that she hid the spies, welcomed them in, didn't turn them in to the authorities of her city. She feared the Lord. And as a result of that, she and her household were spared during the conquest of Jericho. Now, it's a little ironic here in verse 8 that Jonah says, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness because Jonah, in, in one sense, has committed idolatry in pitting God's will and God's plan against his own will and choosing his own will. God had desired for Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach out against it. Jonah wants no part of that. He doesn't want to do that. And so, as we've seen, he's run away from the presence of the Lord. He has, in a sense, done the same thing that those who would worship idols would do, and that is to give his affections to something other than the one true God. We may not have craven images today that we bow down to, although there may be some exceptions to that in various parts of the world, but I don't think that that prevents us from at times giving our affections, our emotions, our desires to things other than the one true God. Oftentimes in our American society, this, like Jonah, comes to ourselves we worship ourselves. We give ourselves in our own lives and our, our own thoughts uh, the affections and desires that are truly uh, meant for the Lord, that belong to the Lord. So Jonah is really doing, in large degree, the same thing that the other peoples of the nations are doing. He may not be bowing to any physical God, but he is still worshiping himself in taking what is rightfully the Lord's away from him, disobeying him, running in his own direction. Now in verse 9, Jonah says, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will repay. Salvation is from the Lord. So Jonah is juxtaposing those whom he considers to be idolaters with himself, and he reaffirms his commitment to the Lord. We will analyze his commitment next time. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.